mercy and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Light dawns for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Let us pray. Most holy God, who by the leading of a star manifested your only Son to the peoples of this earth, mercifully grant that we who know you now by faith may at last behold your glory face to face, and this through Jesus Christ. We pray that we would come before your very presence where the angels veil their faces and yet we can stand because of Jesus Christ. With lowly reverence and adoring love, we acclaim your glory and sing your praise for you have shown us your salvation in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Come among us now by your Holy Spirit that our worship would not be in vain. In his name we pray, amen. Our first hymn is number 58, O Splendor of God's Glory Bright. The grace of God has dawned upon the world through our Savior Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and to purify for himself a people of good deeds of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Let us confess our sin together. Most merciful Father, 
whose holy light shines brightly upon us sinners and threatens to undo us, we confess that we have not kept your commandments, doing what you have told us not to do, and not doing what you have told us to do, not loving our neighbors and serving ourselves rather than you, our Creator. O Jesus Christ, who is the light of our salvation, pardon us, we pray, of all our sin, that which comes to mind and that which we do not remember. And as we are weak and surrounded by temptations, keep us safe in your mercy and grace by the direction and assistance of your Holy Spirit. Purge from our hearts envy, hatred, and malice. Reform whatever is impure in the disposition of our souls, so that we may be preserved pure and blameless until the coming of him whose glory shines upon this whole earth, Jesus Christ, in whose name we confess our sin. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Jesus Christ, the true light of God, has come into the world. And to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives power to become children of God. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ are truly forgiven of all their sin. We rejoice in this good news and we give thanks and say together, praise be to God. Christian people, when God brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, redeeming them from slavery and establishing them as his own people, he called them in response to obey him. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. The ninth commandment is this, you shall not bear false witness. At root, this means we mustn't commit perjury, so we automatically think of a courtroom or some kind of legal situation where we are not to lie, we're not to misrepresent the truth. And even in those days, they uh, worked out their legal situations differently than we do today. I had different settings for that. A lot of times it involved the elders of the city sitting outside the gate, and uh, that's where they would meet, and they would hold a session. It was an official legal kind of session um, regarding something that had happened or somebody who had done something wrong. So the witnesses called to that were not to perjure themselves. Well, today we do that differently. We're in courtrooms. We're in other public places um, where we have to work that out. We have courts in the church. Uh, every level, authoritative level in the church, like the session, the presbytery, the general assembly, are not just um, places where the leaders of the church meet, but they're also called courts of the church. And they do, one of the things they do is conduct business that sometimes involves discipline and trials. So even there, there's never to be misrepresentation of the truth and perjury. But more broadly conceived, this commandment is also talking about our tongues and how we use them. And we're not to use them for evil, but for good. We're we to refrain from gossip and slander and all malicious talk. More positively, we're to use our tongues to speak the truth in love. I hope you hear the echoes of, of the apostles' teaching in the, in the epistles. Speak the truth in love, doing so in such a way as to impart grace to those who hear. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I exhort you in the name of Christ to use your tongues for good and not for evil, because this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Let us say together, Amen. Our hymn is number 226, As with Gladsome Men of Old.
that some men of old did the guiding star behold, as with joy they hailed its light, leading onward beaming bright. So most gracious God, may we evermore be led to steps they sped to that lowly cradle bed there to bend the knee before him whom heaven and earth adore so may we with willing feet ever seek thy mercy seat as they offered that cradle rude and bare. So may we with holy joy, pure and free from sin's alloy, all our costless thoughts to bring, Christ to thee, our heavenly King. Holy Jesus, in the narrow way, and when earthly things are past, bring our ransomed souls at last, where they need no star to guide, where no clouds thy glory hide. In the heavenly country bright, need they Let us pray for those in need, and let us not forget that this is important for us to do each day, but it starts right here. Let us join together and pray to God for those in need. Almighty and most gracious God, we praise you that in Jesus Christ you have become our God and Father, and we do not take that lightly. We rejoice this day in your goodness, for unto us a child is born, and into our midst has come a great light. You have come to deal justly with nations. With righteousness, you rule your people. We hear from the prophets of a wonderful counselor, and we know that your spirit is present with us. The prophets proclaim you, mighty God, and the sea roars and the fields exult. Your mercy is everlasting as you care for your creation. And we herald the Prince of Peace and await the time when his rule is complete, even Jesus Christ. You are indeed our God, and you are greatly to be praised. We sing unto you, honoring you, and we tell of your salvation from day to day, and we come to you with our petitions. Bless us, we pray, during this Christmas time, these days after the birth of Christ that we celebrate in the church. And as gifts have been given and received, remind us that you are the source of all abundance and worth, 
not these material gifts we receive, even though they may be tokens of that. As families have gathered together, may we remember that larger family, the church, into which you have brought us with your Son. Hear us now in the name of Jesus Christ as we pray for the family of the church and our families in this world. Hear our prayers, O God. Guide and direct and protect, prosper your church here and throughout the world. Establish us and all your people in faith in Jesus Christ. Grant to all ministers the grace we need to proclaim your good news. Use the ministries of your church to cause people to turn to Christ. And so with this in mind, we offer our prayers for Ben Westerveld and the mission work in Quebec with his family. Also, Bob Van Manen, his family at Little Farms Chapel. Matthew Barker and his family in Walkerton, Indiana. And we pray for those who do not believe the good news of Jesus Christ. Hear our prayers for all of these. May Joe Biden, our president, and his administration, along with all of our elected officials, make just and wise laws and prudent foreign policy decisions. We also pray for the end of war in Ukraine. And we pray for the people of Afghanistan, in Myanmar, in Nigeria, in Kenya, China, for the people in Mexico and Burkina Faso, where there is great violence and terror. So many of these places are in the top 25 most violent countries in the world. We, ha- we know there are Christians there. We also know the people there suffer greatly. So here are prayers for them. For our congregation here, we seek your protection, your peace, your blessing upon us. Grant safety and good health to those of our number who are away. Enable us all to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and cause us to serve you as we serve each other. Lift up our eyes and send us into your world as free and grateful servants. We pray now for the aged and infirm. We seek your mercy for them. Comfort the grieving among us. Help those who need employment. Lift up the downtrodden and calm the anxious. Sanctify the sickness and pain of your holy servants, that your grace in their weakness may add strength to their faith and seriousness to their repentance. Here are prayers for Eduardo and Frida, for Leah, for Jeff and Linda, Bob and Fawn, For our friends Becky, Angie, Karen, Phil, Dominic, Bob, Mrs. Mesner, Gladys, and others we name to you in silence. Heavenly Father, you have promised through your Son, Jesus Christ, that when we meet in his name and pray with the Holy Spirit, he will be among us and and you will hear our prayers. In your love and mercy, fulfill our holy desires and give us your greatest gift, which is to know you personally, the one true God, our Savior, and your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us when we pray to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. And now we pray our prayer of illumination that with the aid of God's Holy Spirit, we might receive his word this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, your word is living and active. We praise you for that. We depend upon that. Uh, We ask that you would help us this morning to have ears that hear and hearts that respond. May the gospel we hear strengthen our faith in you, in your love for us, and uh, may that set us free to, to respond in gratitude and to serve uh, one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> We begin in Isaiah, chapter 60. 
Hear now the word of the Lord. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebioth shall minister to you. They shall come with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first to bring your children from afar their silver and gold with them for the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be opened continually. Day and night they shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, And all who despise you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation in your gates praise. The sun shall no more light your the sun shall no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, your moon with nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous, 
they shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. And now, our Psalter response in the bulletin. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound, till the moon be no more. May all the kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. Our epistle reading is from Ephesians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Our Gospel reading is in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The word of the Lord. Lift up your eyes and see, we hear in Isaiah's poem, in verse 4, Isaiah 60. We see with the word, with God's word. Scripture's all about seeing. Sometimes it's about not seeing, about blindness, but even that is for seeing. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see, says Isaiah earlier in the book. And the prophet says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It's the word of God that comes to the prophet, and he speaks it to the people, and it's foreseen. Lift up your eyes and see. With God's word, we see what we could not otherwise see. We can see the things of God. It is a scene that cannot come from depriving ourselves or indulging ourselves or reasoning ourselves or thinking ourselves or imagining ourselves. With God's word, we can see his intention and his work in this world. Without his word, we do not see the things of God. Or if we do see them, we do not recognize them as such. Lift up your eyes and see. The church prays, enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know what is the hope to which we have been called. Isaiah's poem is the word of God for you this morning, for you to see. This word picks up many of the promises and themes from earlier chapters in the book of Isaiah. So our text that we heard this morning from Isaiah 60 picks up many promises and themes that appeared and were used earlier in the book of Isaiah. And here are some of them. Before Isaiah 60, so before our text this morning, there was the theme of darkness and light, although in the earlier parts of of Isaiah, the darkness is highlighted. In chapter 59, Isaiah speaks for the people. He says, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. So it talks about light and darkness, but the focus, the emphasis is on the darkness 
Yet when Isaiah speaks of God's servant, and he speaks of God's servant many times earlier in the uh, book of Isaiah, he talks about light. In In Isaiah 42, the prophet speaks of God's servant. He says, I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Before our text this morning, Isaiah spoke words about God's servant. The Lord's servant will be a light to the nations in chapter 42. The Lord's servant will be exalted in chapter 52. Just before our lesson this morning is the promise and a redeemer will come to Zion. Zion is talked about in our text. Isaiah 59 talks about the redeemer coming to Zion. And Isaiah 49 says the people who told you to lift uh, the people are told to lift up their eyes and see. And the promise is made that Zion will put on her children like adornments. And there will be this grand and joyous homecoming. All of that's talked about before our text. Isaiah picks up on God's judgment of Israel for its sin. The city being plundered and ruined and the people being carried away by the foreign nations. But repeatedly there is the promise that God will bring his people back to the city with great joy. And this comes up before our text this morning. More than once is the promise And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's Isaiah 51. Isaiah 23 promises the wealth of nations being brought to the Lord in Zion, like the kingdom of Tyre. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. And the kingdom of Tyre is mentioned in Isaiah 60. Before our text this morning in Isaiah, there is the promise of kings and queens being foster parents to the children of Zion, and they will bring them back to the city of God. Isaiah 49, in 40, Isaiah 49, the Lord says, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. And we heard that in our text this morning. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because in Isaiah's poem, for that's really what it is, in Isaiah's poem this morning, these promises and themes are brought together. It's a remarkable chapter. It pulls from uh, not all, but many of the promises and themes from earlier in in Isaiah, especially in that part from Isaiah chapter 40 up to uh, 59. Um, It pulls a lot of those promises and themes together. So let's walk through the text of Isaiah with me. Just walk walk through it with me for a moment. In in verses 1 through 3 in Isaiah 60, there is light and darkness, but the light is what is prominent, not the darkness. Arise, shine, for your light has come. It is the light of the Lord that shines out into the darkness like the sun, and yet it is much more brilliant than the sun. Isaiah says the Lord's servant will be a light to the nations, and here in this poem, the city with the Lord in its midst is the light to the nations. Verse 3, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. The city is told to look up and see its children coming home. In this poem in Isaiah chapter 60, uh, with very moving words, Isaiah says, lift up your eyes all around and see They all gather together, they come to you, your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. That being carried on the hip is, I've seen 
you know, you can do that in any culture, but that was a particular way in the ancient, in, in the uh, East, the ancient Near East, in the Middle East, for how they carried uh, their children on their hip. Um, so it's, it's a very, very um, intimate kind of um, language there. But they're coming back, carried in the arms, on the ships in the sea, sailing back and walking, coming back to their mother. Remarkably, it's the nations who are carrying them in Isaiah 60. The nations that plundered Jerusalem and Judea are the ones bearing them in their arms and on their ships. Verse 9 says, For the coastland shall hope for me the ships of Tarshish first to bring the children from afar. The nations are also bringing their wealth, the gold and frankincense, silver, bronze, and commerce from the trade routes in the sea and on the land. Isaiah's poem says, The abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and a multitude of camels. What's that? Well, that's those trade caravans that were going on through that part of the world. They shall cover, cover you. They shall bring gold and frankincense in verses 5 and 6. They'll also bring their flocks and herds for sacrifice, sacrifices to God. The nations will come, and instead of destroying the city of God, they will help rebuild it. And verse 10 says, For foreigners shall build up your walls, and their king shall minister to you. So here, briefly, we see that in the poem from Isaiah that we have this morning, the promises from earlier in the book of Isaiah coalesce. They come together. Now, I've drawn out the lines. I've laid them before you, but the poem is far more striking, striking than that. Isaiah is not merely giving you information for a Bible study or material to build our theology. We can do that. We should do that. But it's doing much more than that. Isaiah is creating an image for you. The Word of God wants you to see what Isaiah is talking about. So now I'm going to put it together in a way that helps you see the poetic vision of God's, of what God is doing. The city of God, Zion, in our lesson this morning from Isaiah 60, is depicted as a woman, and more specifically depicted as a mother. Now, when we hear the pronoun you in this poem, such as in the first verse, we naturally think of God's people or ourselves. But this misses something in the poetic image. The poem is addressed to Zion. It's addressed to that city that God has raised up. And Zion is the mother. There she was, lying in the dust, mourning and in deep anguish, because, you see, she had been invaded by the nations, ruined and raised to the ground, and her children had been taken away. There's nothing like the agony and suffering of a mother who has lost her children. In the Middle East, mothers do not hold their grief inside like we tend to do in the West, like as if we're stoic about it. In the Middle East... They sit in the dust and they wail. Zion sat in the dust, looking down, filled with misery. And then she heard a voice. It was not an ordinary voice, like people talking or someone calling out to us from across the street. It was the voice of the Lord. Look up, see, turn your face upward. And there it was, a glorious light, brilliant right there where she was. This was no natural light like the sun or our LED light bulbs that are in cars now and shine into my rearview mirror in my car, and I hate them. It wasn't that kind of light. This was the light of God. 
The Lord himself had risen in their midst like the sun, but infinitely more radiant than the sun. And in that light, Mother Zion looked out into the distance and she saw. She saw people coming. Not a few people, and not even a crowd of people, but the whole world. The nations coming to her lit up in the darkness. The whole world was coming to her. There were her children who had been carried off as prisoners, adults, children, babies. The nations carried her children with kindness. They were returning them to their mother. Mother Zion looked around and saw them coming from all around. They were coming from the north and the south, from the east and the west. They were coming on the land. They were coming on the sea. She cried out with joy, and her heart swelled within her. Mother Zion looked out and saw the nations bringing more than her children back to her. They were coming to her. The nations were doing more than transporting Zion's children. They themselves were coming to Zion. The nations were coming to Zion with reverence and peace. They brought with them their wealth, their flocks and herds, their skill. They came to build up the walls of Zion. They came to beautify the city. They came to bow down and offer their animals for sacrifices on the altar of the sanctuary in Zion. Zion lifted up her eyes, and in the light of God, she saw that she would no longer need to close her gates at night out of fear of attack. And she would no longer need to light the lamps or burn fires in order to see. The glorious light of God shone all around, so much so that the sun was no longer necessary to see by day or the moon by night. Mother Zion saw what God was doing. He was making his city beautiful. This poem speaks of beauty, and it is always the Lord who's making the city beautiful. Verse 7 says, I will beautify my beautiful house. Verse 9 says, He has made you beautiful. Zion does not look back at herself and marvel at her own beauty. She sees that it is God in her midst, the divine light, which is beautiful. She glorifies God for what he is doing, and her beauty is for the glory of God. And she reflects the light of God out into the world. Mother Zion saw what God was doing, and now you see it too. God is making his city beautiful, and he's making his city beautiful with you. And when I say with you, I don't mean you are the laborers helping to build the city, although we do have work to do for God. What I mean is that you are part of the beauty of God's city. It's running all through Isaiah's poem. People being drawn to the city. Zion looks up and sees the nations coming to her, her sons and daughters coming from afar. And then verses 3 through 4 make it very plain. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. And what is happening with them? Well, the city of God is being beautifully built up with them. And God is doing it. He has made the city beautiful. God is making his city beautiful with you. 
If we follow the themes of the book of Isaiah, if we take an honest look at ourselves, then we really do see how astonishing this is. God makes his city beautiful with us. Now, the book of Isaiah begins with the ugly sin of Judah and Jerusalem, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, it says in chapter 1. They're sick and disfigured by sin in this very, very graphic image. From the sole of the feet, uh, foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. This was a people who were covered in the muck of unrighteousness, injustice, and oppression. And God uses this kind of people to make his city beautiful. Who would have ever thought that? And us, a people broken down with our fears and sin and selfishness, who care more about ourselves and what is good for society. As we confess in our Reformed confessions, every part of us is corrupted and defiled. We make the general confession of our sin every week. We did so just a few minutes ago in our worship. God uses us to make his city beautiful. It's hard for us to believe. We divert the beauty of the city away from us to the structure that stands by itself, a structure built with inanimate material, stone, steel, and lovely woods, a structure built with brilliant architectural designs. We read of this kind of thing in of this. Of this. We, give pic, we get pictures of it, of God's city, in Scripture, in places like the book of Revelation at the end, where we see, and I thought about using this for the epistle lesson, but I didn't. But if you go to, I think it's uh, 21, if you go to Revelation 21, you get this perspective, this view of the massive size of the city, its impressive proportion, its walls and streets adorned with gold and precious stones, jasper, sapphire, emerald. And we take that at face value because we have this way in our uh, today of reading things in a literal way and missing the image and the metaphor and the picture. But we take it at face value, overlooking that it is a picture of glorious beauty. But it's a beauty that includes us, the people God draws to his city. After all, what is a city without the people? Well, out west, where I'm from, it's called a ghost town. In the Bible, it's called a desolation. The people you are central to the beauty of the city. And while you look at the city in Revelation, do not forget what the Apostle says in Ephesians. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That is not just simply an inanimate structure. That's a living temple filled with the Spirit of God. And don't forget what the Apostle says in 1 Peter. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. God makes Zion, the city of his salvation, beautiful with you who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, while while God makes the city beautiful with you, what God is doing is centered on the light. Isaiah's poem keeps talking about the light from God. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It says, the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you. It says, a nation shall come to your light. Verse 19, it says, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord shall be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. God is the light of the city. And this poem has a lot to say about that. 
If you recall in the story of Scripture, God has manifested his light many times in this world. So consider when God created the world, said, let there be light. You will remember that on the first day in that story of creation in Genesis, there was no sun or moon yet. John Calvin says the cosmos began on the first day, not because of the light of the sun, but because of the light of God's glory. And from a biblical view, the light in creation is a manifestation of God's glory. God also manifested his light with his appearance on Mount Sinai with the lightning and fire. God manifested his light to Israel while he led them through the wilderness with the pillar of fire. Many times God has manifested his light in this world as he worked out his salvation. But the full manifestation of his light is Jesus Christ. Our gospel lesson this morning says he, meaning Jesus Christ, was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ is the light of God because he is God himself who shows forth his glory. If you want to see, if you want to look out into the world, this world, if you want to look into yourself, if you want to see things above this world, then you must look with the light of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the radiant glory, the brilliant splendor of God, then you must come to Jesus Christ. We sang our first hymn, O splendor of God's glory bright, from light eternal bringing light, O light of light, light's living spring, true day all days illumining. Boy, that thing's just loaded with light words. Day, morn, light, all of this illuminating. And I don't know if you noticed, you probably did, but... uh, Many of those um, nouns are capitalized. Light is capitalized. Why? Because it's talking about Jesus Christ. Spring is capitalized, talking about Jesus Christ. Light's living spring. True day, day is capitalized. Splendor is capitalized. So this hymn is all about Jesus Christ being that brilliant light of God. Jesus is the light that shines in this dark world and draws people to himself. And as people come to the light of Jesus, they're built up into Zion, the glorious city of God's salvation. And Jesus irradiates us and removes the deformity and ugliness of sin in us and makes us beautiful so that we may indeed beautify the city of God. The city of God is built around Jesus Christ, who is the light of God. What is God doing in the world? He's beautifying his city by drawing people around Jesus Christ, who is the light of God. And there's a consequence to this. There's an effect that comes from this. When we are gathered around Jesus Christ, we begin to shine in this world. The city of God reflects the light out into the world. Isaiah's poem begins, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Those who come to the light of God, to Jesus Christ, shine. And I'll give you an example. In two weeks, our presbytery is having a meeting in a poorly chosen place in Ontario, way over by Toronto, in the middle of January. Go figure. We cannot Zoom it. We have to go in person. So we'll see. But uh, anyway, in two weeks, we're going to be going to this presbytery meeting. And there, at that meeting, we're going to receive an ordained man who serves in the ministry to prisoners in Illinois and Indiana State penitentiaries. Not jails, but prisons. What he does is part of a Christian organization called MENTS, Miami International Seminary. 
It's a seminary in prison program that educates and trains and equips uh, prisoners who become students um, to reach other inmates in the prison with the gospel. So you can see what they're doing there. And really, you end up with, in effect, with a church in, in the prison. R.C. Sproul said, Mintz is the most important seminary on the planet today. The man who we are ordaining teaches at a Mintz seminary in these two states, Illinois and Indiana. It's called Divine Hope Reformed Bible Seminary, and it's in several different prisons. The seminary provides biblical and theological instruction to residents of correctional institutions, and it's a rigorous program. They don't hold back. Uh, it's one, uh, when you go through that program, you can actually receive a degree when it's finished. And at the core of this program is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The goal of the seminary is to shine the light of Jesus Christ in the prisons to the inmates so the inmates can live in hope and joy, of course, you know, as Christians, and be a blessing to their families, churches, and communities. Now, as you can imagine, prisons are very dark places in this world. Mints and Divine Hope Reform Seminary are shining the light of Christ into the prisons, and prisoners are coming to this light by hundreds, dare I say thousands, in the prisons where they're going. This all started at Angola Penitentiary in Louisiana. Angola Prison is the largest prison in the United States, and it's very, very dangerous. Since 1992, the number of assaults there per year has dropped from, in 1992, they had 1,346 assaults at that prison. In 2014, there were 343. So that's a huge drop. Mints started at the Angola prison in the year 2000. So what's happening there, I wouldn't say is only because of the seminary, but it's interesting. The warden, I think, is probably a Christian. At least he's friendly to Christians. He's been very innovative. He's tried to help improve the living conditions of the prisoners. He's friendly to Christians. He's invited men's to begin a seminary at the prison. That's how it began. And since then, the seminary has been shining the light of Christ on prisoners, and they're being drawn to Christ. Where we might easily think these are people who should just be tossed away and, and shut up and forgotten in society, here is a, a, a Christian organization that's not going to forget them. And, um, and there's a result from that of shining, <clears throat> shining the light of Christ into a very dark place. The light of the world has come in Jesus Christ. God has drawn you to his light in order to beautify his city. And as you gather around the light of Christ, you shine out into this world. So now, let us gather around the table of Jesus Christ to feast with him. Let us pray. O oh God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully gathered us out of the darkness and into the light of Jesus Christ, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, even your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. If you would please stand, let us confess our faith, and of course, the light will be re referenced in this confession. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. 
begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we do come to the Lord's table is number 398, Christ whose glory fills the skies. says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. At the institution of this meal, Jesus took the bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And then he warned, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. And they, uh, Mark says they got up, they sang psalms, sang psalms and songs and went off to um, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was betrayed on his way to the cross. 
we receive this very same Jesus Christ as he makes himself known to us in Scripture, sermon, and the sacrament. Having again heard the voice of Christ in Scripture and sermon, let us now come to his table and receive his gifts. In other words, let's be fed by him and strengthened to be his children of light in this world. All who have been baptized, who profess faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of the Christian church are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new life and salvation in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. All honor and praise be yours always and everywhere, mighty Creator, ever living God, through Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord. At this time in the church, we celebrate your glory made present in our midst. In the coming of those kings who came from the far east and from other parts of the world, it revealed that you indeed were the one who came for the nations. In the waters of baptism, Jesus was revealed as the Christ, the Savior sent to redeem us. And in the water made wine, the new creation was revealed at the wedding feast. And in doing so, sorrow was turned into joy, and all of your people now pick up and share in this joy. We give you great praise and thanksgiving for this work that Christ has done for us. And we join with the angels in heaven who forever sing your praise, the whole host of heaven, joyfully singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Accept our praises, Heavenly Father, through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we come to his table and obey his command, grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit, with these gifts of bread and the cup, we may be drawn together and joined to Christ the Lord, who gives us life so that we may remain his glad and faithful people in this world until we feast with him in glory. Heavenly Father, we remember Jesus' offering of himself made once and for all upon the cross. We proclaim his mighty resurrection and ascension, and we look for the coming of your kingdom. And with this bread and this cup, we remember Christ your Son, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. With one voice, we raise our thanksgiving to you, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he also took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me.
Jesus said, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Take and eat this bread and drink this cup and remember Christ's body and blood given for you. Receive it with faith and joy and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Lord God, the bright splendor to whom the nations are drawn, as we heard in Isaiah, may we who with the wise men who also came to Christ's birth be drawn by your light and discern the glory of your presence in your Son, who is the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And let us be a city on a hill, a lamp on a stand, giving the light of Christ to this world. Amen. Final hymn is number 346, Hail to the Brightness of Zion's Glad Morning.
morning. A uh, couple of announcements. Uh, first off, uh, obviously, we will be having our fellowship meal uh, today, uh, immediately following the service. Well, not quite immediately. We will allow things to get finished up in terms of uh, getting set up in there, and then we will pray, and then we'll move towards that time of uh, food and fellowship. A um, couple of other, other announcements just to lay out January. January is going to be a pretty busy month. Um, next week, next Sunday, we will be beginning the study uh, of the book Gentle and Lowly. Uh, there are still two books I checked this morning on the book table if you don't have a copy of it yet. Um, all we're asking is that if you think about donating uh, to cover the cost of the book, which is around $15, give or take, um, feel free to, uh, to grab one. Um, yes. Next week, I plan on covering the introduction, which is pretty important, and the first chapter. So, if you read those two portions in preparation for next week, Just cover uh, in preparation for the C class to read uh, the first two, ch- uh, the introduction in chapter one. Uh, also, next Sunday, we're excited to announce a uh, class for. Um, I would say young adults-ish, uh, also meeting uh, starting next week, and it's uh, the title of the class is Spellbinding Stories, led by Pastor Wilson, um, and it is not Luca about magic tricks, so just, <laughs> you may think that, but it is not. <laughs> um, Spellbinding, spellbinding stories from church history. I was going to let leave it hanging there. It was, I had them for you, Jeff. Yeah, I had them. Maybe you might have scared them off. <laughs> I think they'd trust you enough. Um, then uh, the following week, um, a couple things are going to happen. The following weekend. Uh, the 21st, uh, looks like that's when we're going to be doing our church audit. I, I don't think I'll be able to pull things together for this Saturday. Uh, so it looks like it's going to have to be the 21st. And I know Joyce is an auditor. Stephen, you're an auditor. Who is? Randy. Randy's the other auditor. Uh, so just maybe block that morning off will be the same structure we've always had and we usually knock it off in about an hour and a half ish um it's it runs pretty smoothly so uh if there's no problems and i don't think there should be problems but you know sometimes we do find surprises um so uh please uh mark your calendars accordingly then on the 22nd uh that sunday immediately after the audit will be our annual uh, congregational meeting, which is focused on the uh, budget and electing officers. Um, I know I had mentioned previously that the um, the congregational discussion about the direction for Providence was going to be after the annual meeting, and I know at least one person thought that that meant the same day that we'd have the congregational meeting and then we would move to that. That's not the case when we said after. It's like after, after, <laughs> a few weeks after that. Uh, it, it's just too much work to do the annual meeting and then to try to pull that together. 
But with regards to that discussion, the session met yesterday, and we uh, talked through an approach for meeting with the uh, members of the congregation. So uh, over the next few weeks, uh, elders will be meeting with uh, members to talk through the, uh, the material that was presented earlier uh, um, this, a few weeks ago, um, and then also uh, plan for that congregational discussion. That date has not been set yet. We kind of need to see what we hear and, and, and plan for that. So it may be two, three weeks or so is what we're estimating after the annual meeting. So just roughly, though. Uh, and that's it by way of announcements. Anything else? Yeah, so I'd like to add a few things. Um, we'll restart the Bible study, Thursday night Bible study. I think I put... The 26th. Six, yeah. That's mainly because I would have done it the week before, but I have to go to Ontario to a press conference, which is quite a ways. And um, the meeting's on Friday, so I'm going to go over Thursday night. So anyway, we'll start the last Thursday of January. Um, Oh, there's something else. Oh, and then pray for that Presbyterian meeting because there's some some sick, big stuff that's going to go on there um, that I can't talk about. I mean, there, there might be the beginning of a trial. Um, so it's uh, it's there's some serious stuff happening there, but just also the travel. Um, <laughs> you can see I have my doubts about traveling to over by Toronto in the middle of January, but uh, pray for that. It's um, in a little tiny town church in Sheffield, Ontario, so it's, what is that, southeast of uh, Cambridge, if you know Ontario, it's over there. Um, I think that's it that I have. Okay. I'm not seeing anything else going on, so uh, we'll go ahead and break then, and we'll we'll, uh, have our time of uh, food and conversation and stuff, so...